Minister Modi, Excellencies, distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, Namaste. Prime Minister Modi, thank you for giving me this opportunity to address the Racina Dialogue. It's a pleasure to be here today. The ties between India and Norway go back hundreds of years. In fact, the first possible evidence we have of links between Norway and India dates back to the year 834, from a Viking ship discovered by accident by a farmer in 1903 in a burial mound in Norway. The bodies of two women were found in that ship. Buried with them, the archaeologists found items that were meant to accompany them to the afterlife. They included fine silks and a small Buddha-like figure decorated with four golden swastikas. These items may have originated from in the Indian subcontinent, although we will never know for sure. In any case, they came to Norway by sea. The oceans were as essential to our Viking ancestors as they are to us today. They are a vital part of my country's history, and they are a vital part of your country's history. It also is a vital part of our common future. As the world population continues to grow, more and more people will depend on the oceans for development and prosperity. By the middle of this century, the world's population is expected to have increased to 10 billion people. This means that we must look to the oceans in order to share sufficient food, jobs, energy, and economic growth. But this will only be possible if ocean resources are used and extracted sustainably. We have a stake in building a sustainable blue economy. Prime Minister, as leaders of maritime nations, we both know that we have a special responsibility to protect the oceans as a source for food, health, and livelihoods. Ambitious new uh, initiatives have been launched to develop India's blue economy. Prime Minister Modi has presented a vision of sustainability and growth for all people in the region. One of the goals of my government's ocean strategy is to promote sustainable value creation and employment in ocean-based industries. Our ambition is to facilitate the transfer of expertise and technology across industrial sectors. For instance, Norwegian technology developed for the offshore gas and oil sector is now being used in aquaculture and renewable energy installations like offshore wind. If we are to build a sustainable ocean economy, we must stop the degradation of the world's marine ecosystems. We must improve the health of the oceans. And that's also why I have established a high-level panel for sustainable ocean economy. And as the ocean economy policy body consists of serving leaders of, uh, of, of the world, our ambition is to trigger, amplify, and accelerate action to promote ocean protection and productivity. We will encourage action across the board, in policy, in governance, and financially. We need 
to move towards an integrated ocean management instead of managing ocean sector by sector. This must be based on scientific knowledge and take into account the full range of opportunities and risks. Our goal is to advance a new contract that will both protect the oceans and optimize the value for all people. So, Prime Minister, I look forward to continue our cooperation on this issue. Global ocean management means that we must work together to share both benefits and burdens. And the bilateral ocean dialogue mechanisms we have established today will provide an excellent tool for this purpose. So, why am I talking so much about oceans? Because it's a common good. It interlinks all countries that are coastal all over the world. Just like our climate, the atmosphere, we are dependent on mutual international work to make sure that we can take care of these common goods that we have. That means that we need to work together, all countries of the world, to make sure that we are managing this in the, in the, in the right way. So friends, successful cooperation depends also on a robust, predictable legal and institutional framework in the ocean space. The UN National Convention of the Law of the Sea provides the legal framework for ocean diplomacy. India and Norway share democratic values and emphasizes on uh, international norms and laws. And the rule-based international order has served my country, Norway, very well. One concrete example is the settlement of maritime boundary dispute between Norway and Russia in 2010. Our disputed maritime uh, claims were in areas with an abundance of natural resources. So we had both countries great interest in the development. So achieving an agreement wasn't easy, but it was in our mutual interest because none of us could use these resources before we had settled the border dispute. The agreement is important for our future blue economy. We commend India for respecting the rules of the International Tribunal or for the law of the sea on the question of disputed maritime areas. And one thing is sure, when large countries respect international law, smaller countries like mine take note of it. The principle that might is right cannot be used as a basis for governing our oceans or anything else for that matter. One area where large and small countries uh, work together on the common institutions is the Arctic. Norway is an Arctic nation. Much of our territories lies north of the Arctic Circle. Sea areas account for large part of this territory. For us, not like you maybe, but for us, the Arctic is not a remote, icy wilderness. For many Norwegians, it's where we live raise our families, and run our business. As a result of climate change, we are seeing rapid changes and uh, dramatic changes in the Arctic environment. The consequences of uh, climate change are severe, not only for the local communities in the Arctic, but for the planet as a whole. 
Rising sea levels and altered climate conditions will have a global impact. And the change are happening fast. So fast that researchers are struggling to understand and predict the effects that it will eventually have on ecosystems. No country can acquire the knowledge it is, that is needed alone. International research cooperation is on the only way forward. And there are growing evidence that temperature swings in the Arctic are affecting the melting of the snow of the Himalayas and the Indian monsoon. The varying development in the Arctic showed that interconnected nature is one of the global challenges we have. I am therefore pleased that India and Norway have enjoyed close research cooperation on the Arctic and climate change for many years. And India and Norway is among only a few countries in the world that have research activities both on the North Pole and the South Pole. This cooperation is of great value to both of us. The Arctic Council is the most important forum for discussing issues of common interest relating to the Arctic. India is now an observer state along with several other Asian countries. The Arctic has become an arena for cooperation between Europe, North America, and Asia. It represents us with new opportunities. And we hope for an even, to see an even stronger Indian engagement in the work of the Arctic Council in the time ahead. I started by talking about the treasures that were discovered in a Viking burial tomb. They came to Norway by sea, and they were buried with a ship believed to be needed in the afterlife. It's a story that reflects our dependence on oceans, but it also highlights the importance of international trade long before globalization. Global trade had led to the increased prosperity for many. Extreme poverty has been halved. People live longer and mortality rates are falling. And, and I'm happy, more girls attend school than ever before. Global political cooperation, global trade, and international law has been crucial to this progress. But we also have to recognize that globalization has not been equally beneficial for all. Many people feel left out by globalization. And this is a very real challenge, felt especially in European and American political life. Exclusion can spur radicalization. It can undermine confidence in international institutions and cooperation. In, uh, eventually, it can weaken respect for international law, human rights, even our security architecture. So to counter this, we must secure the future welfare of a rapidly growing population. Our job as leaders is to deliver security, jobs, education, and healthcare. We must deliver results, not just rhetorics, because after sometimes people see that the results is what counts, not the rhetorics. We must ensure that our citizens feel the positive effects of global uh, growth and globalization. 
And we must deal with the challenges of globalization while at the same time maximize the benefits for our citizens. This requires both protection and reform of fundamental trade norms. We cannot afford to let protectionism, discrimination, and economic rivalry define our future. Norway and India both benefit from rules-based international trade. We stand only to lose if it's undermined. The WTO is essential for Norway and our inter uh, interaction with the world. I believe rule-based trade is just as important for our partners because free trade creates winners. Protectionism does not. In order to benefit all, rights, rules, and responsibility must be modernized to fit the current global economy. This is vital if we are to build a world where people's potential, creativity, and hope for the future can be realized through cooperation, exchange of knowledge, and trade. The consequences of inequality affects us all. Global security threats requires global responses. Areas of conflict and instability are breathing grounds for violent extremism and international terrorism. Violent extremism, conflict and instability in also leads to humanitarian crisis and violations of human rights. These, in turn, are some of the main drivers both for regular and irregular migration. Terrorism and violent extremism affects us all and are not limited to any single ideology, religion, or belief. In the continued fight against violent extremism, we must apply a whole-of-society approach. We must address the root causes. Security is closely linked with sustainable development. We must boost job and trade creation, build capacity for generating domestic revenue, strengthen public service delivery, and combat corruption. Because corruption fuels inequality, crime, instability, and violence. And in a lot of countries, uh, corruption deprives the possibilities to do something for those who need the most in healthcare and education. We must also ensure women's rights and participation. We know that when women participate in a conflict resolution program, it's more sustainable than if they don't. We know that we have to have a whole base of, of, of uh, creating uh, ways for people to participate if you're not gonna have a new crisis coming along soon after. It is crucial for development and for the lasting peace and stability. In 2015, the international community agreed on the 17 Sustainable Development Goals. I call this the roadmap to the future we want. It's uh, tough to reach the targets, it's tough to reach the goals, but we all have to move that way and try to reach them because we all have a stake in it. The issues concern all of us. And if we succeed in reaching the SDGs, we will have done much to address many of the challenges 
that we face today, that people around the world feel is leading to insecurity, to threats to their lifestyle, and to create the atmosphere that leads to extremism or protectionism. So we must address those issues and challenges. That includes poverty, inequality, extremism, health issues, and climate change. Since 2016, I have co-chaired the UN Secretary General's group of SDG advocates. The 17 goals makes it very clear in this context that we are all developing countries. The difference now is that some years back we would say, these are developing countries, those are developed. But when we are measuring ourselves to the 17 goals, we are all developing countries. None of us can say we have reached the goals. We all have different issues in our countries that we have to work better on. Norway has frequently been ranked number one in the Human Development Index, but we still have a lot of work to do to achieve the SDGs. India, of course, has played an important role in shaping the Sustainable Development Goals. The fact that India, with its massive scale, vast resources, is devoting itself to achieving the SDGs will have a global impact. So I greatly appreciate Prime Minister Modi's leadership in this arena. And I'd just like to say we have no time to lose. 2030 is not that far ahead. Sustainable change cannot be achieved overnight. It requires hard work, and we have to work together. Because the effects of not reaching the ISDGs is going to affect us all. The effects of climate change, conflict, forced migration, pandemics, does not respect any borders, how much you would like to do things with trade or increase your protectionism. If we don't have international organizations that are prepared to act, international corporations that are prepared to act when crisis emerges in one place, the effects will be felt in other places of the world. That's one of the reasons why Norway has tried to work a lot, by, for example, on the work on pandemics. India and Norway share the goal of solving global challenges in cooperation rather than trying to do it them in isolation. Norway and India share many values, a deep commitment to democracy and a deep commitment to a rule-based international order. And we do live in times of great change. If you look at the economy, if you look at the world, it has changed the last 50 years in a rapid way and India will soon become the most populous nation in the world if you're not already there. I mean, not all censuses are good, either in China or in India. So we were, not, we were not really sure who is the biggest one these days. From Norway's perspective, global trends have been the cause of both our prosperity, but also many of our challenges. Trade conflicts, geopolitical tension, violent extremism, Climate change and instability at the global level directly affects us at home. But so does also the benefits of world trade, the global fight against infectious diseases, and the rule of law. And while we are seeing great uh, changes, there are also some constants. The oceans are still there with their potential to provide wealth and development, to 
paraphrase the great Mahatma Gandhi, there's still enough for everyone's need, but still enough for everyone's greed. The monsoon winds still blow across the Indian Ocean, as they did in the Viking times. These are troubled times for the current world order, but I always believe that when you have moved forward for some year, you get a step or two back, but you will continue to move forward. Because for all countries of the world, if you are a caretaker of your own national interest, your national interest is a functioning global order, rules-based, open, transparent. So I, when people claim that we should use more time on national interest, my biggest uh, you know, answer to that is, you know, having a world that works together on solving international issues, the big issues of our time, that's more, probably the most important national issues we all can try to work on. So it's our, uh, if you want to put your nation first, make sure that we have a global order that is functioning. Don't believe in short-term uh, short policies, believe in the long one. And that is, we are in this world together, and we have to solve the problems of this world together. Thank you.